Welcome to the Share Chair Podcast, where we tell each other stories and learn from listening. So it's really exciting to have you. And on the Share Chair, I've been following your career for you know quite a few years now. And and for me, um, following your career started with your Teacher of the Year award. Um, but could you maybe talk to us about how you entered even into the career of education and then how you think you got to the point of winning the teacher of the year award and now i'm forgetting i'm sorry was that 2015 yep 2015. okay so how did you even enter the field and then um and then maybe you could take us through to to, to winning that great award you know sure uh, i never heard a teacher so I was actually in college going into marketing and pursuing a marketing degree. And I just kind of had always thought about making commercials um, and doing something on that end. But when I was heard about a job at a local elementary school where they needed somebody who could uh, speak Chaldean, which is a language that um, I speak, well, position. And I didn't really think yeah. I would get it because I didn't have it. Um, but the principal took a chance and I did get that job. And it was one of those experiences where I hadn't really worked in a school, um, and so I loved it right from the beginning. I just felt like everybody at the school was so warm and welcoming. It was so much fun to work with the kids and just see their excitement when they see you, and also you know, seeing those light bulb moments, getting to work with kids one-on-one. -on -one. And so within the first month of uh, having that position, I changed my major. So I worked there for one year, and then I went away to school to Michigan State to uh, get my degree in education, and then I was able to come back to that same school to student teach a couple of years later, which was really fun and exciting. Uh, and then I've actually worked in that district um, ever since then in, in Wild Lake schools. Um, so that's really how I got into the field. Um, and then leading up to that award, I would say I, I really, my second, third year teaching, um, I kind of wanted to focus on that classroom like the first couple of years, but just kind of branching out and working with other teachers and sharing ideas and learning from other teachers in the building. And so um, at that time, the principal had come to me and asked if I wanted to be part of the teacher to teacher project, which was where I'd spend a year going and observing other classrooms in different schools and then um, researching best practices, bringing that back to my school and opening up my classroom to my colleagues. And so that was really kind of my first big leadership role where um, yeah. I was putting myself out there and I loved it, learned so much from other people, and then I was able to share what I learned. Um, and so that was just a great collaborative uh, experience with my colleagues. And so then I wanted more, you know, I wanted more leadership opportunities. And so I um, was accepted into the Galileo Leadership Project, uh, which is, you know, um, a consortium of different counties and districts. And that was the first time that I was with really a lot of other like-minded educators that were really focused on leadership as well. And during that, they just kind of teach you facilitation skills and more best practices. Um, and then that leads you to wanting even more after that. So I was always just looking for ways to um, continue growing professionally and then other teachers. Um, and then in 2014, I applied for the uh, NEA Master Teacher Project, and it was a big initiative to um, get a year's worth core lesson. And so I was able to do that again. And at that point, I was able to connect with educators across the country. 
Um, and so that was a really big taste of what, you know, what was out there nationally. Um, and so I think all of those things, just going from one leadership initiative to the next and building on those skills and kind of expanding from my school to my district to the state and then to the national level, um, I think those are the things that probably helped me um, to get the role of teacher of the year. But at that point, I didn't even know that we had a state teacher of the year program. Um, <laughs> And I don't know, I, I had, and I've told the state this, that I didn't think it was very well publicized because I think there's so many educators that would want to be part of it um, and, and apply for it. And, but the way I learned about it was I had a letter in my mailbox at school from the state superintendent, and it said that I had been nominated, and um, once you're nominated, you are invited to apply. I kind of laughed when I saw it, and my principal, and asked him if it was real. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah was and there was another teacher at my school that had been nominated as well so um, uh, I pursued it and went through the application process which was pretty rigorous and then forgot all about it of course it wasn't yeah. Until, yeah it wasn't until a few months later that I got a call from somebody at the department saying I was a finalist and I was invited to come and interview so the questions itself and the application process were really reflective and kind of pushed me to uh, get thoughts that I always had in my head but put them into writing and to yeah. really aspects of education and policy that we don't get a lot of time to talk about. So I loved the process. I thought it was very um, uh, progressive and forward thinking, pushed me to do things. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I liked it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that that education and policy and um, the thinking that the application um, made you do has, well, I don't know. Like I said, I don't know you well enough to know that it started, but I mean, clearly you had a passion or an interest in it, but it drove you to um, to, to this new new place, right? Which is this new um, position in which you're in. Yeah, so I think that um, definitely leadership is contagious. You know, I think that it takes really somebody tapping into to someone else's leadership potential to make them see it. I don't think uh, it's comfortable for teachers to think of themselves as leaders in their careers. So I really credit my principals for reaching up to me saying, hey, would you want to take part in this? Um, and just opening my eyes to that world and kind of making me feel confident that I could do these things. And so I always think about that trajectory and that one little thing leading to the next, the next, the next. Um, and then, you know, you think teacher of the year Amazing, incredible opportunity to steer out of the classroom and learn and grow. Um, and you kind of think that that's going to be the end of it. But, but even those open your world up to all of these amazing organizations that are at the national level, that do advocacy work, that do policy work, um, and really just try to elevate educators. And so I was able to connect with people from those organizations. And then I learned about um, a fellow U.S. Department of Education. Um, and it actually took me two years to get in. Um, the first year I applied, I never heard back. Um, and the second yeah. year I applied, same thing. You do the application, and it's a very rigorous process. They're asking very deep, critical um, thinking questions that you have to, to think about. What do I believe in um, as an educator? And then you forget about it. And it wasn't until a few months later again that I got a call saying that you know I was invited for a phone interview and then invited for an in-person interview and then eventually selected as a part-time fellow. So last year, 2016-17, I was a part-time teacher ambassador fellow. I was a group of um, one of 10 
And after that, uh, they asked me to stay on as a full-time fellow for the 2017 school year, which is what I know. Got it. And so what are some of the, uh, the duties? I know Maddie was, yeah. Maddie was asking me uh, some of the duties or the, the roles or the expectations of that position um, with the Department of Ed. And, and I said, well, Maddie, I mean, we just need to ask because I'm not really sure. <laughs> um, yeah, I really like to explain it as um, being connectors. So the fellows are connectors. We connect um, educators in the field to people at the department. So we help bring that educator voice to department leaders, like the secretary, um, the politicals at the department, people who are in career positions uh, that either maybe started off as teachers but have been in the classroom for a while, or um, you know, we're in a totally different career before working at the department, other than education. So we connect teachers in the field are doing with the policy work that they're doing at Ed, and then at the same time we learn about what the department does and then take that information back to teachers because a lot of uh, practitioners don't really have the time or the space to understand policy or to think about policy understood the role of the department before this job and so part of my outreach duties or responsibilities are to help share what those are what initiatives they're working on um, what policies they have in place what the role of the department is and isn't because there are a lot of misconceptions about, you know, testing um, or certain policies that people say, well, the, you know, the federal government says we have to do this when really um, they give guidelines and then states get to decide. So uh, big piece. But when I first started in this role, somebody explained it to me this way. There are three, uh, three parts to it. Learning as much as we can about the department and policy. Um, and how it works, taking that information back in the field, gathering feedback and input from education in the field, and then bringing that back to the department. So uh, there's a lot involved. It could be blogging. It could be doing roundtables. It could be um, attending meetings and sharing educator voice. Um, there are a lot of different pieces to it, but we're basically connectors. Yeah. So I'm curious then, um, so you talk about how you went from teaching now to this leadership role, and what is the draw for you to this leadership position now versus the in the classroom? Because I'm sure you love both, um, but what's the difference there? So I kind of have loved each of the different roles, and they each have their pros and cons. You know, this year I really, really, really miss kids. Uh, in fact, last week I was working from home and got to go to my old school on Halloween and just see the kids and, and you know, participate in their parties. Um, and that made me realize how much I did that. I also miss the school atmosphere, just um, working with my colleagues um, each day and my friends. Um, so I, I miss that. But just on policy has also been really worthwhile and just seeing at a deeper level how things work, um, how decisions are made. Um, and advocating for the things I know are important to educators. Yeah, that'll be that'll be an interesting next <laughs> shift for sure. Um, so I know you you mentioned the Halloween. On Halloween, you were with the you with the Secretary of Education with Betsy DeVos and um, the um, the First Lady uh, Melania Trump. Was how was that as an experience? Yeah, um, it was actually just slightly before Halloween, but um, oh, okay. I have a blog coming out this week from the department, um, which is on 
uh, the department's, it's called the Homeroom blog page. And I wrote about the experience because for one, it was fascinating to see behind the scenes, you know, how much goes into a one hour visit or just kind of what happens behind the scenes of when um, leaders do, do school visits. And so that was really exciting to be part of and to see. Um, but really the focus of the blog was about the kids, you know. Um, this was such an exciting day for the kids. They knew, um, they knew that it was special that their school was chosen. They knew that they were going to be sharing an important message, which was about empathy and kindness and making sure students are included at school. Um, and, you know, they just understood the magnitude of what was happening. So I loved everything. Yeah, that's cool. And so, Melody, I mean, this is a major, and this is maybe where we have some connection, I guess. I mean, our connect connectedness comes on that, on bullying and empathy. Um, how, I guess, I guess I'm wondering where your passion comes from for the topic. I mean, you're an educator and all educators care, I think, but yours is particular. As a matter of fact, you are an author, uh, The Diary of a Real Bully. Um, you know, a, a, a picture book, a good story um, where you try to look at it from the bully's perspective. Um, so uh, how, how do you come, come at the topic? Well, I've been a third grade teacher for 15 years and I never really thought too much about bullying for elementary school because I always felt like I experienced it most in middle school. So I was really surprised, I would say, my second year of teaching when I said I had group of students who were really, really nice, bright kids. They came from great families. Um, they got along so well the first half of the year. Um, and then suddenly something changed, and I saw a lot of um, bully behavior. And it surprised me because I didn't think third graders had that in them. Um, and then it surprised me because these kids don't fit the typical bully stereotypes that, you know, we see in movie, movies and on TV. Um, so... I started to pay attention and I started to think about ways I could work with the kids to get them to see um, that their actions were bullied. The year after that, same thing. Come spring, all of a sudden all these problems happen. Kids were being not so kind to each other. Um, and then the year after that and the year after that. So I noticed a pattern and I realized that developmentally, um, third graders do start to have those um, you know, mean girl tendencies or uh, uh, boy aggression tendencies or whatever that might be. Um, so also what I noticed is that when I address that, if you even use the word bully, they refuse to see it because they are not a bully stereotype. So they'll say, well, I'm not a bully. And I agree, they're not. But when you called someone's name or when you excluded somebody on lunch, um, that's bullying behavior. So I started to help them kind of shift from thinking about the word bully as a person and uh, start thinking about it as a and to show them that we all act like bullies sometimes, even adults. So when we're gossiping, when we are, um, you know, uh, rolling our eyes at somebody, whatever it might be, um, we are acting like bullies. And so that shift right there really helped to change the discussions in our classroom and to change uh, the kid's willingness to take responsibility. You know, if you say to a kid, hey, how did you make that person feel when you called them that name? They'll admit they made them feel bad okay, when you make somebody feel bad, what are you acting like? Um, oh, I'm acting like a bully. Well, did you want to act like a bully? No. How could you make that better? And so that simple shift really, really changed the dynamics in my classroom. Um, and that's where the idea for the book came from. It was really trying to find a character 
develop a character that does not fit a bully stereotype. So I've asked from kindergarten all the way through high school to explain what they see when they think about the word bully. And they always, every single time or fails, say that it's somebody big, it's somebody mean, um, it's somebody pushing, punching, kicking, or stealing. Sometimes yeah. they, they have a skull on their shirt, you know, spiked hair. It's always the, the stereotypical bully images. Yeah. And I, they actually know anybody in real life like that, and they don't. Um, so it's about moving away from that. So in the book, the character is a really nice, sweet, bright girl who is small um, and kind of the antithesis of the stereotype. But she realizes when she is excluding people, when she's spreading rumors, when she is, um, you know, embarrassing someone else, trying to be funny, that she's acting like a bully. And that helps kids realize their behaviors. I think that's really cool that you're... I don't know that you see a bully in a different light in a way that's more realistic because when you said when you were talking about how when people hear the word bully they're instantly turned off from that I can totally relate to that just growing up you hear so much about don't bully don't do this and everyone says there aren't bullies um the stereotypical kind so I think that's really cool that you're um taking initiative on that and I'm curious because you said you saw it in your third grade class did you see it because I know you said that you saw it year to year so was that something that you saw and you were in this position that you're in right now and then that's how it translated over was it something that you saw early on in your career and it reoccurred and now um because you said like you're active in this stuff now how did that progression happen from third grade to where you are now yeah no this um happened way before i was ever in the teacher world um i wrote my third year of teaching and I didn't actually publish it until eight years later. <laughs> I, I literally used to read it in my class every year, duoting folder typed out with no illustrations um, because I, it was a message I wanted to share with them, um, but it wasn't a complete book. Um, so once I was able to turn the book, that was really exciting. And I just feel like that was a chance for two worlds to collide. There's the leadership world, there's the world of bully prevention advocacy that I wanted to be in. Um, and those worlds do collide. And David and I's story is a, a, a really great example of that. You know, once you start expanding your professional learning community and connecting with other educators, you start to hear about different passions. Um, I got involved in Twitter and I would start tweeting stuff about bully prevention. And then some of my educator friends from across the state would say, hey, you know who you should connect with? You should connect with David because he's written a book on empathy. Um, so that's how he connected, which is great. And I, sh and I, um, I told David this, I actually still share story whenever I'm talking about teacher leadership um, and just kind of showing uh, teachers the importance of connecting uh, through social media, and being active and developing their professional learning. Every single person has that they're passionate about and there are other people um, who have expertise in that area that it's great to connect with. So yeah, I, I was just really fortunate that the teacher leadership world and um, the passion I have for bully prevention have collided. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Melody, one of the things that I've and continue to appreciate um, from afar is just how bold you are and how strong you are. And so one of those uh, instances is with um, a family um, trauma has turned you into a passionate policymaker and I wasn't sure if you wanted to sort of take an opportunity to explain um, 
your new interest in, in, in um, policy and inclusion in the classroom? Yeah, yeah. I have twin boys and they have some developmental delays and they have pretty severe speech apraxia. And so um, they were in a great preschool program um, through our district where they were receiving special education services. And we were really pleased with that um, because, you know, speech and, and occupational therapy, all that was built in. And so we felt really fortunate. Uh, what we didn't realize, though, is that a lot of times those preschool programs are, um, you know, kind of funnels into um, similar programs for elementary. And so when it came time to transition my twins from preschool to kindergarten, um, we were told by our district that they were going to be sent to a self-contained at a different school than their home school, um, same district, but three cities away. And they would be in a um, a classroom where there was maybe six kids, three pair of pros, um, just not really what we envisioned for them for their elementary school career. Right. Um, and so we, you know, advocated the same opportunity that other kids get, that they just could walk into their homeschool as kindergartners and what supports we could put in place in their general education classroom um, to, you know, to be able to meet their needs and to be able to... Um, you know, provide them with the and an appropriate education. Um, but our advocacy didn't do well, and um, you know, we felt that we were being didn't have a voice for them. So we we filed a state complaint, and then um, response were met with um, the district filing a due process um, complaint against us, which essentially took the court level and stopped yeah. the state complaint from moving forward. Um, so through that experience, um, I became really interested in and in, um, active in the disability community and just kind of connected with a lot of other parents who have struggled with the same thing, both in my district and beyond. A lot of problems with special education in the state of Michigan. And um, my main focus is just about inclusion. You know, my children um, have the right to be included in their homeschool and their community and to grow up and go to with their um, neighbors and classmates and the people that they'll work with in the future. Um, so that's really what I've been advocating for. In the midst of that process, um, in January of 2016, one of my twins did pass away after having complications from the flu. Um, so that really, um, you know, that really just kind of took um, our passion for this to another level. You know, we, we say that we're advocating on his behalf on his twin brother's behalf and on behalf of all um, kids who have ever been pushed out of a general classroom and not been included. Mm. Um, so right now our case is at the federal level um, and we continue to move forward with that. But in the meantime, um, my son is in a private school and okay. he is fully included in general education. He is doing amazing. Okay. Um, not having any issues. Um, and it just really kind of shows me that, um, it is possible to do. It's just about an attitude and a culture. Incredible, yeah. Um, fortunately, a lot of school districts still have um, uh, a culture that's pretty archaic and, you know, kind of goes back to when some kids were institutionalized because of their disabilities. Um, so just trying to move that forward and propel that forward in honor of my son. So you're taking a stand um, towards working towards these things, getting um kids with disabilities into just a general classroom and i'm curious how um 
like, was it difficult for you to come to the decision to do something about this? Was it pretty easy? Like, what are challenges that you're having to face um, in regards to just taking a stand for what you believe in? Yeah, it is um, one of the hardest we've ever had to do. I mean, for one, I was having to stand up to the district that I work for. Definitely changes dynamics, definitely changes relationships with colleagues. Um, I, I, this is pretty extreme to say, and, and it kind of affects how I say it, but going through my son's passing was obviously the worst I've ever been through. But through that experience, it brought the community together. It brought, you know, like so many people reached out to help us um, that were really uplifting and positive. And we started a foundation um, in his honor called um, Ashton's Miracle Foundation, where acts of kindness um, for others, because that's what people did for us. Um, so through that horrible tragedy, we were able to um, pull the positive things from it, um, this um, strength and faith and all those things. Situation, there has really been nothing positive. It's not been positive for our school district. It's not been positive for our family. It has not been positive for our kids. Um, I really haven't seen anybody um, benefit from the situation in a positive way yet. Um, and I don't think anybody will until it's resolved and until, you know, systems are changed and practices are changed and cultures and beliefs are changed. It's been really, really difficult and challenging, but we also see the bigger picture. You know, my son is now so welcomed and so, um, and he's thriving. Um, so I don't feel a need to, you know, fight for him to go back to his school, but we still are because it's about all the other kids who I know who have been pushed out of their homeschools. And it's for all the educators maybe don't have the right resources or tools or skills to work with kids of all abilities and disabilities. Um, and they deserve to have those skills too, not just special ed teachers, but then a teacher should be trained in those as well. Um, sticking with it for the bigger picture at this point, um, even though it's been really, really hard. But it's worth it. How have you found yourself to find some peace inside the um, chaos or inside the struggle? Um, what have you, what are some tools you've used to find, to find peace? Um, we definitely always focus on the positive. Um, so even when it doesn't seem there is much of that, um, you know, um, we have some amazing people behind us. We have, um, a team from Michigan Protection and Advocacy Services who learned what was happening and said, you know what, this is not okay. So we want to help. Um, we also have, uh, attorneys from University of Michigan's pediatric advocacy clinic who also you know have seen the facts of the case and said we need to protect other families from this happening um, we have even attorneys from other states who have joined our case one from tennessee and one from louisiana um, so just kind of seeing other advocacy advocacy groups and other people who are willing to fight for something that doesn't even impact them it's also parents um, so some of my closest friends now um, our parents who have gone through something similar or um, are fighting for similar things. Uh, and we really reached out to each other out of need, you know, like, please help me. What can I do here? Um, and that just creates a bond. And um, so really just leaning on others um, has been a good tool to find peace. 
Yeah, so if you had to give one piece of advice to anybody, what would you say? Wow. I mean, so many different things we've talked about today with the bully prevention and the special ed and the teacher leadership. These are all super, super passionate about. Um, I would say my best advice would be to um, be brave and be bold, um, take a lot of risks, and don't worry about, um, you know, just don't worry about the naysayers. I know kind of in all of these different avenues, I've had to do things um, you know, that cause some controversy or that might, you know, push people out of their comfort zones a little bit. Um, but you learn through that. That's the only way that change will happen. So I would say um, not to hold back. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you, Melody. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for next week's episode.